Welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the wild and wacky world of tabletop gaming in general. Uh, it has been said many times, mostly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are so many good games that are out today that are worth our time and our attention, and God, there just isn't enough hours in the day. Um, there are just so many games that we can spend our hobby dollars on or our hobby time, and it's sometimes hard to know where to start. Well, that's the purpose of this podcast. Um, today, we will be speaking with uh, one of the the men who inspires me. Uh, this will be an inspiration podcast, and it will sort of jump from game to game and areas of inspiration. So uh, if yeah, I know that... Spoilers, there's going to be some G.I. Joe talk today. Uh, you may not dig Joe the way uh, my guests and I might, but we are going to talk about a lot of different game systems, um, the things that inspire us, and I hope that this conversation will uh, give you something uh, good to listen to while maybe you're painting today. So less on the hobby industry, less on specific game systems, but more on inspiration and in gaming as a whole today. Now, I've sort of already said too much, so why don't I bring in our guest and we can start talking in earnest. Now, for years, I did a hobby blog on Blogger, um, Land O Misfit Toys, um, which you will now know as the Facebook page if you are a fan of the show. Uh, and I did that for years. And while I was doing that, I found a blog, a blog that I liked quite a lot, um, that I subscribed to. Uh, and it was just, it was full of great little game systems. And when I say little, I mean not your traditional massive Warhammer 40K, you know, centric blogs. It was just a, it was just a wonderful blog full of creative, sort of pulp inspired games. There's some World War II stuff. There was some science fiction, some 80s culture. It was just great stuff, and I loved it. And it wasn't until um, I was in a random Facebook group with uh, this fine gentleman that I realized that he is the man who owns the blog that I found so inspirational. So, without further ado, I have to bring on our good friend Jason, who, if you have not ever checked out Dr. Mercury's blog, and I'll have him give you the spelling, but it is fantastic stuff. But let's have the man on himself. Jason, welcome to Cast Dice. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, man, it's great having you. It's great hearing your voice. As someone whose work I've read for literally years, it's great to put a face with the voice. I guess the other way around, but um, the voice right. with, the, with the words. Um, how you doing, man? Wall. Welcome. Good, good. Thank you. Very good. Now, um, why don't wait? Why don't we start? And we can plug it again later. But why don't you tell people what is your blog? Tell us all about it. Uh, my blog is drmercuryblogspot.com, and it's a uh, blog that's just basically it's kind of a vanity page, gaming. Um, the spelling for mercury is M-E-R-K-U-R-Y. It's a little different, but mm -hmm. doctor still spelled the same. Um, and basically, I designed it to be something to showcase games or projects I was working on, but also wanted it to be a resource for others um, so that if someone, if I'm someone in forums or other media, that I could refer them back to things that I stumbled across that helped out with the hobby or that um, you know, expanded something that someone was having trouble working on in the, in the gaming hobby. 
Yeah. Now, I know that you and I both also use Facebook pages for that. But one of the things that I found to be really problematic with the Facebook page is it's very time centric and it disappears very quickly. Um, I was part of the Bolt Action Alliance for years. And whenever, you know, people would always ask, oh, do you have a painting guide for this? And it's like, if you just type it into Google, the, the main website would show up. Um, but on Facebook, right. you know, you've posted, you can even repost the same article sometimes three or four times over the years and people will see it for the first time. Um, is that your experience yeah. as well? Yeah. So what I find is like, there'll be a lot of occasions where someone would say something like, man, I wish there was a cheap, easy way to make modern buildings mm. or rubble or, you know, something else. Uh, and there are different things that I had already worked out or had been worked out within my gaming groups that I belong to. Uh, and would go and set up an article and basically share that knowledge. And then as people, you know, a lot of the questions tend to be repetitive sometimes. Mm -hmm. So instead of me, like, you know, recreating article upon article upon article, I could easily share, you know, that, that individual blog posting to refer people back to it. So right on, man, that is definitely my experience as well. Um, so how long have you been doing this blog? Because it's pro- you're a prolific blogger. <laughs> well, I had um I don't know if you remember displaced miniatures when that was around. Yeah, I heard but the name. Prob- yeah. Yeah, I I think that was probably the first like image hosting miniature based uh not really a blog as much as like a gallery mm-hmm. site. So that was where I first started posting pictures of stuff I was working on, stuff I painted and different games and stuff and I think that site might still exist. I think it's on its way out because I had to copy images off of it and got a notification. But from Mm. that, then I migrated to Blogger, I want to say in 2007. Yeah. So, and when I first started, you know, I didn't know much about what I was doing at that point either. So a lot of the games that we were playing at that time, uh, we had just started like doing old school gamma world rpg gaming again nice using um, the affinity version of it the affinity system i don't know if you're familiar with that Mm -hmm. yep so the affinity system was uh was a new system to us that we tried i was Mm -hmm. used to like when i played gamma world we played as kids like i think in 84 yeah and we were using at that point I want to say version two of Gamma World. Mm-hmm. So the affinity system, we gave that a shot. We wanted to play in that environment. And uh, we gave that rule system a shot and played through for about, I think, two years we campaigned with it. So it was pretty fun. Wow. But we used the, I used the blog to record those adventures as well as like then I expanded it into like doing terrain and then more and more gaming projects and then started to see how it could be used in forums as a resource for people to be to navigate to uh, you know direct them back to mm-hmm. for reference so nice now uh, god man gamma takes i mean god gamma world takes me back yeah. i i'm trying to think of what version of the game i played but that is like yeah. early 80s and god science fiction yeah. slash a little dystopia um oh yeah it was <laughs> yeah still great yeah yeah absolutely well i know we were talking offline and i th- I'm I'm getting a sense for uh, some of your uh, the theme of some of your gaming uh, interests uh, or genres um, because I know at one point you were also a fan of for example going way back to like Star Frontiers. Oh yeah, absolutely yeah. That's still a great system too. You know, I keep threatening to run like a one night RPG game some night with the with the uh, the current gaming group, which I, I still got to write up and set up. But 
as kids, you know, when I was like 14 or 13, uh, I had a group of friends that that's all we played really was yeah. uh, Star Frontier. And we ran it all the way through to the point where the Nighthawks supplement came out, mm-hmm. which was the UPF naval uh, conflict rules. I had it. And yep. for that, I actually had their player characters get drafted into like the third Satharian war. And they got to uh, play on the side of basically like an RPG slash strategy game then where they're uh, defending planets and doing fleet actions and stuff. Yeah. Oh, of course. I When I think of Star yeah. Frontiers, I always think back to like D&D in space almost because um, yeah. it was, a, it was yeah. a TSR game and it, it felt very similar. Now, that was yeah. look, I'm sure when I was playing it as, you know, because I think we're roughly <laughs> the same age. Um, I yeah, think yeah. that um, I think we may have been fudging the rules a lot at that point for the sake of the narrative. Right. But I yeah, forgot yeah. there was that um, the space combat part of yep. that and and a miniature line that accompanied it i actually still have a lot of the ships for it you know they're soft lead you know not pretty but mm-hmm. oh, you know they're so nostalgic cool. for what they are yeah man oh I, you're taking me back uh, i was uh, as we were yep. saying offline i still have all those books uh at my parents yep. house in the attic somewhere next to next to all my gi <laughs> joe and i'm thinking oh god i have to right. pull those out the next time i'm home yeah, the last book that they published for Star Frontiers officially from TSR was Zebulon's Guidebook, which if you never purchased it, it is like the it's the the holy grail of the series. That book was a single book that they published which revamped all the previous rules and made it much more playable and also added five new races that you could be as a player character. Oh, wow. Uh, timelines and uh, also um, uh, new weapons and mentalist as a as a profession which they were basically psychics which yeah. they did not have in the previous games yeah oh that's cool yeah i'll definitely yeah. have to check that out because it's a, it's a very cool book because i definitely had the, all the game and i think i had all the supplements up through nighthawks um yeah because a local game store had a going out of sale uh going out of business mm-hmm. sale i should say and it was they yeah. were literally i mean as a kid i was flabbergasted it was like 75 percent <laughs> off and it yeah. was bonkers and i walked in with my dad and he looked at me and was like this is bad and i was like yes yeah. it is <laughs> um and uh it, it, my dad usually would be like nah a sale on something is not interesting, isn't worth buying, never going to do it. And it was, I think it was right. like the one time that my dad went, okay, I get how important this is to you. I get, <laughs> the, I get this. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I think the, I think it rolled into a birthday or something. And he was like, this yeah. is everything you're getting. Right. And I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> and I had to sit and wait for my actual birthday, but that was, uh, I knew what was coming, which was something my parents never did. Uh, it was always that surprise uh, for Christmas and right. whatnot. But, man, that was worth yep. waiting for. That was a wonderful pile of, uh, I just remember reading them for, I can't even tell you how long. So, yeah, such good books. All right, well, let's stop talking the old and let's talk a little bit new because I'm sure we're going to go sure. old again in a minute. Um, you right. were just telling me that on the weekend you were playing around with a new system that is absolutely one of my loves at the moment. Uh, tell us what you're up to. Yeah. So like I'm slow to buy games these days just because for me in general, I only game about once a month mm-hmm. and uh, you know, twice would be a big deal. You know, it doesn't usually happen twice a month. So it's usually once a month and it's with a group. So everyone picks like one game that they want to try or run. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
this game after I played it, I immediately went and bought like the book copy of it. So mm. it was it was definitely something that's I think is worth purchasing. But we played Gaslands for the first time, uh, and a friend of mine ran it, where he set up it's a it's basically like a death race post-apocalyptic kind of running man style game where everyone has uh, a set number of points that they buy in cars. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's different sponsors that can, that provide cars for these competitions. And then you have scenarios that you can play through, Mm -hmm. or you can just drive the cars around like we did for a learning game and try to kill each other. So it was a lot of fun. I actually just did literally the same thing with that game a couple, uh, maybe a week, two weeks ago. Um, I got together with uh, friends of the show, Tim and Drew, uh, and another friend, Morgan, and we all sat down. And I've always played Gaslands previous to this as a one-on-one sort of death race, Um, just, you know, having fun with it, because it's a very fun game. But it was the first time that I'd done the group thing and i was surprised at how well it worked i was i was worried that with four people it might get a little clunky um but with i mean we all had at least two regular decked out cars or Mm -hmm. um two teams had a car a buggy and a motorcycle and it was again we weren't playing a set scenario so much as can can you survive making it through this figure eight track, uh, making it all the way around with everyone else racing? And we all started in different corners and had to make our way out. Um, and man, right. it, it worked really well. Um, was that your experience? Yeah. yeah, it was a great game. We had we had five players for this game, mm-hmm. and four of them were all first time players. And we played through the rules by by the by midway through the first turn, everyone had a pretty good grasp of it. Mm-hmm. And we ran three turns to completion. Uh, and I want to say it was maybe two and a half hours, you know, with some bullshitting and stuff mm-hmm. in, in between there for the end of the game. Nice. Yeah, I think yeah. we made it. I think we almost uh, I know we didn't finish finish, but we started really late. Um, you know, had a couple beers and had dinner and just socialized first. Right. But I think we got something like maybe even five turns done in two hours. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, we were. But as you say. Three people had never played it before, and I was showing everyone how to play from scratch. And it was, but we had all the terrain set out. The cars were ready. We just threw it down and started pushing things. And as you say, it's it's really quick to pick up. Um, yeah, it's very intuitive. It uses mm. a, a template system for movement, similar to like X Wing, if you're mm. familiar with X Wing. Oh yeah. And uh, the te- the templates um, really take like a lot of the a lot of the time consumption out of the game right. you can quickly lay down your moves and the templates also uh take into account slides and other maneuvers that happen according to your dice roll that you roll yeah and I... uh the speed function i thought was just brilliant you know mm. in the yeah. writing whoever wrote the rules they were very good yeah. i've actually interviewed the author on on this podcast a long time ago um yeah. and yeah he he just spent he spent something like two years um play testing it and and you can tell he had a lot of people yeah. play testing it he had a large beta group um yeah. and he said that he you know he had to the original rules were far uh there was just a lot more of them and over time he just kept cutting and kept cutting and kept cutting um and streamlining and streamlining and streamlining and i think in the end he just he really came out with with a hit, and he's already come out with multiple expansions for the game that you can download, I think, for free online. But I'm still, 
you know, I don't have my set group to play it with and I'm not really right. playing it to be competitive. I'm, I'm it's more of a, I, I don't want to say a beer and pretzels game because I think that would actually take away from its validity as a game almost, but damn, it's a right. lot of fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a quick, easy game to throw together and play. Yeah. Um, one of the things, you know, we played car wars as kids Yes, and with car wars, you know, half of that game, this is, this is before like computers were common mm-hmm. in homes. So you would just spend like days, you know, plotting out your car and mm-hmm. building your car half, you know, I'd say 80% of the game was building your car. Then, 20% yeah. was actually driving around. You yeah. Know? <laughs> so this, you know, it's very much the opposite here. You're going to spend probably about 10% of your time. If even making up the cars, it's pretty quick and easy. Mm-hmm. And then you're right into gaming it. So, yeah. And, the as you say the way the term the sort of the turn goes where every player there's a certain so the faster you go the more your car can do um i guess it makes sense yeah. like the further you go you can't shoot more if you're going faster and i like that um because that was when i first played it we we didn't read that rule right and was like this doesn't seem to make sense and then we went back and reread it and it made a lot more sense but just that you're able to move further and move faster but it isn't that necessarily you go i go and that i'm gonna go fast and i'm gonna go halfway around the board and then you're gonna move your one inch it's that the way it spaces out into five gear phases um it's it's incremental as it moves um and i really liked how that worked was that your experience as well yeah, I thought it was really it was really clever. You know, each time you shift gears or shift up or shift down, by shifting up, it gives you more activations in that turn, basically. So you're mm-hmm. able to do more and you're traveling faster. But at the same time, you're taking on more hazards mm-hmm. and you become less maneuverable as your templates get restricted. So you're no longer able to do hairpin turns and... You know, it gets much harder to get around, especially once the battlefield starts getting littered with cars. Oh, yeah. It gets much to move around without hitting something so i think at one point in the second turn i had a van that had a 125 millimeter cannon mounted on it and and i i'd already acquired 12 hazards (laughs) and i still you know kept chugging along i was making my handling roll each turn so i was able to keep going but you know eventually it caught up to me yeah oh yeah and i'm sure it did um (laughs) Yeah, I was the group I was playing with the other day were like, yeah, let's go fast. Let's have fun. And I was like, yeah, this like with uh, with speed, you know, there's you know, the wreck happens. Expect it. Yeah. And the way these guys were rolling, it never came. I was like, how is this? Every time I'm I'm going like I'm in gear three and I've I've got like (laughs) I barely have anything on me. And all of a sudden I have a bad roll and all of a sudden my car blows up and I flip and land on top of a rock every time and yet with these guys they were going on speed five taking these long crazy maneuvers and hairpin turning it in between giant rocks and i'm like what is this the fast and the furious was that three tokyo drift they're like sliding through things like how do you even uh yeah i think the next time uh that we played i think there's gonna be a lot more carnage because I don't think anyone's cars were blown up at the end of the game. And I, I've never played Gaslands where that happened. It was just, you know, the dice yeah. happened to work that way for once. Right. Yeah. The van I had was a Rutherford van. So it had four ammos oh. for the 125 meter gun. And I was happy to have unloaded every last round. The last round, 
actually detonated, cooked off inside of it when it blew up. It took out two other cars. So. Yes. <laughs> That's so gas pretty spectacular end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I might even cringe and say it's great carnage, um, but yeah. sorry, bad. Um, but yeah, I guess the... the God, that game's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, as you say, though, you don't spend much time putting it together. And uh, I love that, you know, you just you can modify existing Hot Wheels cars. And because of that, you're not necessarily tied to an existing model range. You can take right. anything from anywhere. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. There were there were guys that were buying. Um, uh, there's some shops on Etsy where they sell, you know, uh, matchbox scale weapons mm-hmm. that you can get. For like kidding out stuff in Gaslands, uh, Stan Johansson he shows up at our local cons. He's had a 172nd scale Road Warrior range for for years, nice. where it's got everything from like harpoon guns to whatever you can think of bikers. Mm-hmm. You know, very Mad Max. So there's a lot of options out there, and it's all you know very affordable. You know, for what we had on the table. Oh yeah. You know, probably the most expensive thing was the templates. You know. Yeah. Especially, well, you can either, and for years, or not years, sorry, for a long time, um, my friends and I were, that were playing here, um, God, since, has it only been a year since that game's gone? Anyway, um, we had photocopied templates, uh, but mm. I went to, um, I went and went the Etsy route. Um, Thomas Wynn yeah. um, is a friend of a friend, and I found his Etsy shop through um, old friend of the show, Dave Taylor, and was like, hey let's do this. Um, and I ordered the full range of stuff and it arrived and man, it makes the game look so pretty. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's great stuff. Yeah. My friend, Tim, he's got the dice and the, uh, the template sets from him. Yeah. I think we're talking about the same person. So, and they were, they were beautiful. Yeah. Guys, if you're listening to this and you're interested in Gaslands and you haven't looked at Thomas Wynn's stuff, and I think that's the name of his shop, Thomas Wynn, uh, spelled W Y N N on Etsy, do it. Or just go to uh, Etsy and look at Gaslands, um, and you'll find his stuff. I mean, there's a ton of stuff on there these days, but the quality is really, really nice. And because he's been playing the game since it came out, he absolutely knows the The way to make it work. The dice are awesome. They're like, yeah. 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 Because, you know, sometimes some of the people who make these things don't play the games, and things don't necessarily match the right way or, you know, they're just those little details, but he plays the game. He knows it. He's passionate about it. So his stuff is sweet. Anyway, um, yeah. let's, let's move on because we, I'm sure we can talk about Gaslands all day, but, uh, <laughs> I, br- I brought you on to talk about something else. Um, well, I guess let's talk a little bit about your wargaming pedigree. I, I don't know if that's the right word, but, um, you've helped write a a lot of stuff. Um, you've been yeah. part of a lot of groups. Um, tell the folks a little bit about your background so they know what you're talking about when we start talking about this stuff. Sure. So my introduction to gaming was pretty much um, through my cousin and I getting together. He's one year older than me. Mm-hmm. And as families, our families would get together every Sunday. And he introduced me, I think the first kind of board tabletop game I played was Dungeon. So um, good. with him yeah which uh, you know i went and bought a copy of now and my daughter plays it and loves it but um it's still a great game but we we played that on sundays and then it expanded into 
um, buying, you know, he bought D and D. I was from a more conservative Pentecostal family, so I wasn't allowed to play D and D, but I was allowed to play Gamma World and Star Frontiers and other games that they sold at Walden's Books in these box sets. You know, back in the days where you know, like D and D had the red box that was out at that mm-hmm. time. So um, I bought those books. Uh, we started playing those on a regular basis, mostly Gamma World with my cousin. But then we got into Battletech, and from Battletech we got into uh, West End Games Star Wars when it was out because we were, you know, huge Star Wars fans. We had oh, yeah. all the action figures and stuff as kids. And from West End Games, um, you know, I was going to comic book stores at that time then. And from being at comic book stores, I got introduced to the Citadel Managers. And I really enjoyed painting at that time. At that time, I was still using oils, and everything looked like crap when I painted it. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, I know that feeling. You know, my cousin actually did more painting than I did with, uh, like, the old testers sets. Oh, God. But um, remember those? Oh, the cringe is real. I remember those very well. Yep. Yeah, they were horrible to paint with. So it then got to the point where I remember going into the comic book store and seeing, like, really nicely painted stuff. And it was all from Citadel at that time. And mm-hmm. it was a great miniatures line that they had out. Um, they had a big fantasy line, and they also had a science fiction line. That's right. And uh, I was looking through. I was buying singles of some of that stuff here and there. Um, and then my first my first actual box set of miniatures, the first actual miniatures I ever bought was for the Marvel role-playing game, where they had two yellow boxes that were out, mm-hmm. which had like six heroes and six villains. And I still have some of the pieces. But those box sets we used to play the Marvel superheroes game. Also a and great game, from, yep. Yeah, great game too. You know, and from that, you know, I have I still have some of the supplements and stuff for that at home. Mm-hmm. But from that, um, I eventually picked up the Warhammer 40k. You know, 30 Space Marines beaky box set oh, you know, yeah. with the Crimson Fist front. And picked those up, liked it. Picked up Rogue Trader. You know, great book, yep. lousy binding. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, yes. <laughs> horrible binding oh, but my worst. cousin and i then played that for like uh, uh, a few years and uh when second edition came out we began playing at a local store mm-hmm. we played more and more warhammer until that was pretty much all that we were playing at that point expanded into like warhammer fantasy and mm-hmm. uh some other ranges and then um towards the towards the beginning of third edition I think we were all burned out from 40k and stuff for the mm-hmm. most part. You know, after I had Eldar and I got tired of like the, you know, the troops getting changed so many different times that I'd have to repaint stuff mm-hmm. or reassemble stuff or buy new models. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't see spending the money at the time. And we had other older gamers in our group that were like, you know, we should start playing more historicals because they would go to conventions and play like DBA mm-hmm. and, uh, Oh, geez. Uh, some other of the ancient rule sets. But so we kind of went into a gateway where we start playing Warhammer Ancients and started mm-hmm. attending the local HMGS cons, the Historical Miniatures Gaming Society cons. Mm-hmm. And uh, our replacement kind of for for uh, Warhammer became Battleground Easy 8's World War II skirmish game. So good. Yeah, man. Yeah, which was almost, you know, in, in the uh, in the level of detail it had, it was almost like a role-playing game, like Squad Leader to an extent. You know, yeah. it was very detailed. You had huge wounding charts where they're like, you know, 30 different <laughs> thirty different effects yep. a troop, you know, a model could have. 
And we played that. We played it a lot. We played some other games, played Back of Beyond, um, got interested in like the 1920s pulp era with the Back of Beyond stuff. Mm -hmm. And from playing those games and taking an interest in World War II, what happened was, as with anything, you know, it, it was meant to be primarily a squad based game. And then everyone wanted to feel more squads mm -hmm. and everyone wanted to feel more tanks. So you'd have more armor. And eventually uh, I stumbled across the Iron Ivan games rule set. And I was surprised because I saw that it was out of a local Lidditz PO box. And I thought, you know, Lidditz is the town right next to me. So I thought, wow, these, you know, the authors must be local. Uh, it'd be pretty cool to go there and try out, you know, wherever they game at, try out one of their games one night just to see how the rules play. So I ended up contacting uh, Chalfont Conley, uh, who uh, lives over in York mm -hmm. and was uh, one of the rules writers on the original rule set, set up a game to play at the York comic book store where they got together at, uh, played the game, really enjoyed it, uh, played it several more times over there at their shop and then ended up bringing it back to our shop. And we played that pretty religiously for, you know, I want to say like five years. It was we had a we had a lot of fun playing it, nice. and uh, expanded that into I I liked it so much that I wrote a um, a supplement for it for the Rift War, which was the North African rebellion against the French and Spanish in the 1920s under Abdul Krim. I was a big uh, Spanish history fan, so that supplement I wrote it was called Harkas the Arma Blancas, which means basically like war bands and bayonets. And um, that was like the gateway into expanding it into other genres. And through that, I wrote a Spanish Civil War supplement for it, which was very successful. I sold a lot of copies, right? One of their best supplements, which was uh, Primera Batalla, which oh, basically the that. premise was. Yeah, uh, it's a lot of fun. So, and that, uh, I was a huge Spanish Civil War fan. I bought Force of Arms miniatures back then. My mm -hmm. friend R. Lee, Ron Stalter, who's also on the Joe Group, introduced me to those in 28mm. Mm -hmm. And I began collecting those and painting those until I had, oh, I want to say close to a thousand figures cool. in that range. Yeah, and started running like large games at the convention with modified rules. And I think Chow more or less said, hey, would you, you know, you're passionate about this period. Would you like to write a supplement for the Spanish Civil War? And we talked about it and I actually ended up like coming in as a partner through that book and through those sales. So I became the third partner in their company. Oh, nice. And then from doing that, then I wrote um, I wrote a section of the Italian World War II supplement covering like Tito's uh, partisans and also... Um, Oh, uh, my memory's getting bad. The uh, the man that led the rebellion in Libya. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, Mukhtar. Yes. Yeah, Mukhtar. I can't remember his first name, but... but uh, And and I wrote... Um, what else did I write? Wrote some uh, campaign books. I wrote a Spanish campaign book called mm -hmm. um, Atacar Venza, which is uh, um, Attacking His Victory which is the Siege of Madrid, basically covers the early stages of the Spanish Civil War, wrote a supplement for Arnhem, for the Arnhem uh, campaign. Oh, that and is then, completely so, different, yeah. Yeah, completely different, yeah. Wrote that, and then I ended up writing um, 
a pulp version of the rule set, which used the some of the basic mechanics of disposable heroes, mm-hmm. but expanded it so that it could incorporate um, basically heroes. Um, so your minions that your normal guys that you have don't really have much more of an effect in the game per se um, than being like meat shields for the heroes. <laughs> right. On. So, which is kind of like how the pulps themselves played out. Yeah, so absolutely. I wrote out those rules and um, they were again, pretty successful too. They did very well. And we still use that rule set today. Yeah. That's what I, I, I use like anything that I'm going to do. That's like a side off cinematic kind of adventure. Mm-hmm. I pretty much just adapt those rules to it. And, that's where heroes dare. Yep, where heroes dare. Yep. That's right. And that's that's still available through Brigade Games. I don't receive any money. <laughs> we sold the company, I think it's three years ago or four years ago. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But all those titles are through Brigade Games and Sinister Labs that bought it from us. So um, I also wrote um, uh, uh, Victus, which is a gladiatorial combat game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I co-wrote uh, No More Room in Hell, which is the zombie apocalypse game. Oh, I've seen that. And yeah. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. A former friend of mine did the majority of the writing, and he has a great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he he's a very passionate about the zombie genre. And uh, it's a great set of rules. It incorporates fear tables and reaction tables into basically the modern combat of disposable heroes. Mm-hmm. And... I've used that same rule set again for doing like Night of the Blob. I, I have that one up on my pod, uh, up on my. Yep, uh, I've seen it. Yep. Yeah, that's a lot of fun to play, and I've also used it for like werewolf games and anything that's basically like horror, mm-hmm. you know, genre kind of stuff. Survivor games. Yeah, man, right on. And then the last set of rules I wrote never got printed, but only got sold in PDF, and that was Age of Saints. So yeah, with. With Age of Saints, you could uh, you could make it hard sci-fi or sci-fantasy, depending on which elements you wanted to use. Nice. And which elements you wanted to drop. So um, if you wanted to say, we're only going to use hard ammo weapons, then you can drop all the beam weapons or the magical style weapons out of it and pretty much make up your own forces however you want. So this rule set that I made, I wanted to be able to use it for everything from Dune to Star Wars I've used it for Ghost in the Shell, cyberpunk style games. Nice. Uh, like near future games. And I wanted it to be something that you could easily throw together. So it works out pretty well. The, the main problem I had initially making it, we made it for Clone Wars first for uh, Star Wars, mm-hmm. was, um, you know, Jedi are like demigods. Yeah. <laughs> so. When you start looking at Jedi, and I have no idea, like, you know, I know how West End Games kind of handled it Mm -hmm. before, but with Jedi, literally, you know, when you think about it, if you imbued someone with all the powers that a Jedi had, they would never draw a lightsaber. There would (laughs) would never be a reason to. You know what I mean? You would just force crush anything within, like, miles of you. Mm -hmm. So I had to be able to, and you would be shot down, like, instantly by, by mass gunfire so i had to write the rules so that there were different wounding templates basically for those kind of characters which i called saints in the game okay that meant yep yeah so they had different uh different abilities the rules kind of bended more for them and how i restricted power use was they had a set number of cards that 
they drew each turn. They could only hold on to one card and would have to reshuffle the others. Mm -hmm. But from those cards, those are the abilities they could use in that turn. So it was kind of a way of like mitigating it. So, you know, a lot of the powers in the movies were used according to plot, not according to need. Right. So that was a way of like limiting it. And it worked out pretty well. You know, we had a lot of great games with that. Now, is that one of the systems I've seen you play at conventions? Because I know you've played, used a, you've, so you do, I know from your blog that you do a lot of big games. Um, and yeah. sometimes those are at conventions, sometimes those are, at, uh, I assume that's your game room slash garage slash basement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is Basically that. Solitude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, so you, um, you're building, so you sort of just. I just have so many questions for these big games that you're running. Um, sure. Because where's your inspiration from that come from? Because, I mean, you are no slouch to this. You've been doing this for quite a while from your blog anyway that I've seen. Right. No. Well, inspiration for me usually comes from you know, a variety of different sources. Um, you know, Before the Internet was very prevalent, uh, White Dwarf was a big inspiration mm-hmm. for me for what could be done within, you know, those old classic White Dwarfs, you know, 110, mm-hmm. 112, you know, stuff like that. They had some great tables and landscapes. Yeah, they did. And uh, I really tried to think of ways to be more creative, you know, and I have limited space, too. So the stuff I make, sometimes I'll make, use it for a few, few years, then sell it or impart it to a store. But, um, you know, there's stuff that you see... And I think just like any other artist, you know, you're going to use pieces of it and adapt it to your own style. Yeah. Now, I remember one that stood out to me, like, huge. We used to play a ton of Necromunda when I was in my early 20s at uh, my friend Ron's comic book store, which he owned. And we had, like, regular players every Sunday playing Necromunda. And that one table that was in GW from some store where they built a vertical table. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember that. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, that was just, like, it, it was mind-blowing. You know, when I saw that, it just, you know, redefined, like, how I was thinking of, you know, table games and table surfaces. And just even games like uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, I would look at, like, how those maps are laid out mm-hmm. for, like, table ideas. You know, different stuff, you know. Yeah. So let, let's let's talk about because, I mean, of course, we can talk about some of the um, the tables, but sometimes that makes for bad radio. Um, I, I know, for example, one of the games you've played recently was a G.I. Joe theme. And I'm sort of getting I'm sort of spoiling a little bit because we are both G.I. Yeah. Joe enthusiasts. Um, but you right. had a table that was a oil tanker um, tied up um, sort of along the a bank. Um, so there was like a shoreline, there was like a helicopter pad, and there was um, a dock for hydrofoils to park at. And it was like Joe assaulting a, a Cobra um, lab or something uh, that I'm not sure the exact mission. I can't remember it, but the just yeah. the level of detail um just to down to the planking on the little pier that went out to the little boats <laughs> um and some big right. planking that went out to some big boats um but then you had like a power generation plant and the whole i mean clearly you'd put a lot of thought into this including where the alligators went and everything else um right that was pretty awesome and pretty intense Thanks. um yeah so was that something you would just you had maybe the ship and you went, how can I make this into a board or how did that come into being? 
Well, I think, and a lot of it too, like I love dioramas. Right. And I've always loved dioramas. I loved shadow boxes as a kid, just Mm -hmm. even before miniatures were part of my life. So I like creating the environments. I like creating the details in the environment. And, uh, you know, I always liked, I always, whenever I looked at other people's like stuff that they would have up on their their blogs, Mm -hmm. I always got more out of the guy that showed me one well put together scene rather than the guy that's like, look at all this stuff I own. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, okay, you got a ton of stuff and it's a great picture of all that stuff, but it doesn't convey as much meaning as something that's like, you know, narrative or, you know, showing me the details. You know, I would rather see a, a close up picture of one model than, uh, you know, some broad shot of 50 models just showing, you know, volume of collection. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Um, but I, so, I think I'm yeah. a little guilty of that sometimes. It's like, look, I've got this army. Yeah. Here's a picture of it. Sure. Um, because sure, it's, that, wanna... it's that sense of accomplishment. Yeah. Look what I finished. Oh, yeah. But yeah. as yeah, you absolutely. say, it doesn't convey yeah. that story. Right. Yeah. And I think, too, like once you see like that overall – once you see that overall army picture, that's the complete story for that picture, that right. picture itself. Whereas if you're showing like individual scenes, I think it, it begins to paint. It, I think it, it gives you more ideas for like the game itself. Agreed. I did one where I don't know if you looked at this blog post, but skipping off of topic, I had finished up a bunch of my uh, World War II U.S. Marines in 28 millimeter and I, you know, had him sitting, wasn't getting to play any Pacific games because the guys didn't want, no one wanted to play Japanese or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, <laughs> it was, uh, was the, one of those deals. But uh, we started doing dinosaur hunts on the hollow earth and I bought a bunch of plastic dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to do the dinosaur island from like the DC comics where you had like Marines that were stranded on an island full of dinosaurs so basically, I just set up like a small photo shoot where I was doing like Marines encountering dinosaurs on a tropical island. You know, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, man, I have seen that. And I, as the Japanese yeah. player, who's uh, who's a lot of people uh, who I play with uh, in Bolt Action Land uh, typically don't play Marines. <laughs> I'm like, well, or uh-huh. or Chinese. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at it going, right. well, I'm not sure who. I, you know, I can play that really historical Finland versus Japan in the Bokaj, right. but uh, that doesn't. Yeah. yeah, no, not not it so. Doesn't hit the spot. Right? No, yeah. no, not at all. Yeah, yeah, right on. Well, so I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I think I look for like those details of different stuff that I can put together and get a lot of use out of, and some of the scenery pieces like. For example, those those grass boards in the game that you're referring to, mm. I've had those grass boards that I've made probably from 2000. You know, they're probably 18 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff. And I've always said this to, like, players that come into groups, too, is that, you know, out of the stuff that you spend money on in the hobby, you know, because things can get expensive, mm. the things that you're going to get consistent use out of is one a good game mat you know buy yourself a good game mat do yourself a favor get a game mat that you like you know one that's going to hold up if it costs a lot that's going to be the single thing that you're going to use the most beyond dice you know absolutely yeah i got the same kind of goes for like the terrain yeah exactly well i i got um way back when there was before there was mats even i mean people put cloth on their tables and i'm Mm sure you remember those generation that generation i'm sure but there was a company um, because i was working for gw and um one of the guys i worked with um i was in a store and he saw 
um, a pile of these beautiful game boards, foam core boards with these, you know, essentially what would we, we would now call a mat sort of glued onto right. the top with matching hill pieces that went with them. Yeah. And um, way back when, I can't remember the name of the company, but I absolutely yeah. called them up and I bought one. Uh, and my wife and I are work doing home renovation right now. And in, yeah. you know, I so much so I love that board so much that I moved when I moved to Australia, I shipped it down here and I still have it. Nice. The company no longer exists. That board right. has seen better days, but um, it was such a it was such an integral part of my experience. And it was just having that because having good terrain I, totally. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sh- I know you know this from from our conversation right. from reading your blog, that having that terrain really does help make the game. And having a good yep. board and a good mat on top is sort of the frame on the picture in my mind. And so now yeah. I have a ton of yeah. mats that I use all the time and I don't use this board anymore, but man, I'm not getting rid of it. Right. Yeah, I think uh, I had a friend that spoke to it before where he said, you know, if you know, for the tabletop gaming it, it, it is a very visual, very limbic thing. Right. So in order to, you know, you want to service that part of it. That's, that's what derives the pleasure. You're just putting unpainted models on the table on like a, a blank piece of cloth with aquarium terrain. You know, mm-hmm. I understand that that serves its purpose too. But for me at that point, like a video game is going to be much more engaging to me than that. Yeah. So, you know, the competition for where your eye wants to go and what your interest falls in, I think, you know, you need to have some of that, you know, modelers, um, modelers work put into it, you know, like the guys that do train layouts or mm-hmm. the dioramas, you know, I think that's part of uh, the hobby that's tied into it, you know, is that attention to detail. Absolutely. And as a guy who yeah. often runs events, um, I've, I've thankfully over the years built up some terrain, but uh, as much as I'm, I'm not a fast hobbyist. Um, and so yeah. for running, you know, I'd rather paint things that I can then put on the tabletop to play with. Um, and though I painted a lot of um, terrain, I know, for example, we've had Knights of Dice on and I've talked to those guys oh, about yeah. how I paint their stuff. They're, yeah, they're a local Melbourne s- distributor. So I actually see their stuff awesome. all the time. Awesome stuff, yeah. I, I would love to have it, but every time I look at this, it's the shipping that kills me. Yeah, well, that's normally it's the reverse for us because, you know, being yeah. in Australia, you look at it and you go, God, yeah. that's expensive to ship down here. But Knights of Dice is an Australian yeah, guys, maker, and, uh, you know, we have, we have more coming up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. We're going to keep them. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, like, battle, uh, Battlefield in a Box um, was always oh, yeah. great. Mm-hmm. And so... But their stuff, you know, they do one shots um, and a lot of their early stuff was actually sculpted and put together by actually weirdly my old roommate from Games Workshop. And so he was the one who messaged me and said, you know, you're always saying you wish you could have one of the boards that we used to have in the house um, because he was, you know, one of these fantastic terrain builders and he just had this huge collection himself. He's like, well, now I'm selling it. You should look at this. And I was like, oh, cool. So I, I, you know, pick some up and then pick some more up and pick some more up and pick some more up. And now I've got a crud load of this stuff, but I know how rare it can be um, the second it goes because they seem to do like one print, sell through it. And then move on to the next thing. And so whenever I see their stuff, I'm like, oh, do I really? Especially with the Australia tax thrown on top because everything's more expensive oh. down here. You look at it and go, do I really need this box of you know $50 <laughs> for roads? 
And the answer right. is yes, because it adds to what I already have. It matches what I already yep. have. But it's, um, as you say, you can use it again and again. It's it's durable, right. and you can it's it's modular, so you can just pick it up and move it around on your mats, or you can use it in different environments. And for me, that makes yep. a huge difference um, because, like you, I'm space poor, um, and you're just making right. it work, yep. right? Yep, yep. You, I'm constantly thinking of. You know, if something's coming in, something's got to go out or, you know, it's got to find a place on the shelf that it fits if it's going to be here. So, yeah, yeah. but even the roads like, um, you know, and part of it, too, is when we gamed, uh, when we had a gaming group at a local store, that local store was only able to get certain things in. And we weren't big GW gamers, but we still wanted to be able to support the store. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I bought when I was there, you know, gaming at the store because I wanted to, you know, have. They didn't charge us for the space we use, so you know we we wanted to be able to purchase so that they're right. still you know want us to be there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So a lot of what I bought was terrain, you know, and uh, you mm-hmm. know I wasn't buying miniatures from them because they didn't sell historicals. You know, they only sold like privateer press and stuff like that. Yeah. So a lot of what I bought was paints, terrain, and you know the mats and stuff, and just buying that stuff and not as many of the miniatures. Um, you know, I started to, you start to accrue a lot of that stuff over time. Yeah, what know, do you, you mean? Big mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. As you say, something's got to, co- if something's coming in, something right. else has got to go. That's my, <laughs> well, yeah. that's my wife's mantra at the moment. And I'm like, God damn. <laughs> and look, it's right. where we live in an apartment in the city. I get it. But, uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Well, all right. We we can yep. we can we can talk about terrain all day, but um, I I hear I hear one or two voices on the internet saying there is something that you should be talking about right now, and um, we're something like forty five minutes in, and I should probably mention <laughs> that we are both massive GI Joe enthusiasts, um, but not just GI yeah. Joe in general. Getting ta- GI Joe on the tabletop uh, for tabletop gaming. Um, which yeah. is sort of, you know, if you start looking in, you know, weird, obscure, um, you know, subgenres of hobby, that's a pretty that's right. a, that's a pretty small one. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. let's. Ron t- yeah, go ahead. Ron actually, Ron Ron Stalder actually brought me into all of this. I think he's actually guilty for. It. I was at a point where I was almost on my way out of gaming. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Ron introduced me to the Joe group, yeah. and through that, it reignited like my, you know, my interest in painting and converting and gaming again. So mm-hmm. Ron's responsible for a lot of this, I'll have to say, you know, to his credit. And he was a uh, my former comic book store owner that I used to buy my comic books from regularly. So yeah, it's all good stuff. But yeah. he's a huge Joe fan too. So, but he noticed like when he would take his stuff that he already had, he had all his stuff done before me. He would take it to stores, and uh, it's a very specific niche for like that genre of stuff, like uh, GI Joe. And he was, he was, you know, he thought, well, you know, everyone knows what GI Joe is. Well, mm-hmm. no, the only people no, that really don't. know what GI <laughs> Joe is like thirty-five to forty-five year olds. You know, it's a very you know, it's a narrow window when you think about it. It is. for At least for the action figures that we're accustomed to, you know. And I can say, too, like with the guys that I know just even from the Joe group, Simon Quinton or Tom Rollin and some of the others, 
like some of those guys are younger than me and uh like i have no idea the names they're mentioning like right for me gi joe action figure wise i think where i finally called it quits was when refrigerator perry was out yeah you know and i remember mm-hmm. <laughs> i remember seeing him in the store and i was just like i can't do this anymore yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. but even then i think i I think I still bought like a Night Creeper and, you know, some other stuff after that, just like one or two here or there. But that was pretty much the end of it for me. Yeah, man. I was a huge Joe fan early on. Um, Mm -hmm. I I, I got it. So as a kid, I, I, I mean, we, you and I, again, we talked about this off air. We, you and I had very similar toy interests as well, but um, Mm -hmm. Joe, for some reason, grabbed me like nothing else as a kid. Um, and I walked in on the first collection, um, I guess at the ground floor as a GI Joe hipster. Um, and <laughs> the first thing I was ever, I, I got for a birthday present in the same year. Um, I don't know why it all sort of fell into place, but I got the Ram motorcycle, the vamp, the Jeep, awesome. and I got the laser cannon towed all at the same time. And, um, I think okay, pre- the how, the how, yeah. yeah. Previous to that, I had yeah. like, I had rock and roll Scarlet and the Cobra Trooper. And like, I, I guess because I played with them never endingly, just these three action figures, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I guess relatives saw that. And that was back in the day when relatives, not just my parents gave presents. Um, and yeah. you know, the, the motorcycle, I'm sure was a cheap buy at that point. Um, yeah. And so yeah. it was easy to like, well, let's not get him the action figure. Let's get him the tiny vehicle that the action figure can ride on. Um, right. And yeah, man, boom, that, that got me so hooked. And for me, it yeah. always That's... came down. Well, at the same time they did um, the comic book, I guess was uh, out at that point, but I, I was too young. I think to have. I'd never been in a comic store at that point. I didn't read comics, nothing. Right. But Toys R Us had the G.I. Joe number one comic in a giant-sized issue. Um, that It was like awesome. in the back. And I was like, oh, what's this? I can read about this. And the art was so good. I was like, yeah, I, I, I want that. I don't want the toy. Right. I want the comic of the toy. But it was like a giant. Yeah. It was, it was huge. Um, I guess it was A3 size. In my mind, as a okay. kid, it was massive. Um, right. And... Um, that is what really, as much as the toys, I loved playing with them. I'm sure as a kid, I would have turned my attention at some point because yeah. I, I, as an adult, who, uh, people who listen to the show will know my attention span is not infinite. Um, <laughs> right. <clears throat> however, uh, that comic book hooked me like nothing else. Now, it was well out of production order at that point. And so by the time yeah. I, and I'd read that thing front to back so many times, but by the time I actually got into a store to buy something, I think it was issue 13. Um, right. And that changed the way I looked at media. Cause I, I you know, I read Joe then religiously for something like God, 60, 60, 60 some odd issues after that. Um, yeah. But that yeah. got me reading other comics. But anyway, um, did you have a similar experience? Because what sort of got you interested yeah. in Joe? I can say, like, so my old man is kind of a hoarder. Right on. <laughs> so he would take me to a lot of different places as a kid because you were stuck going wherever your parents went. Oh, yeah. So 
part of where I ended up like a lot was hardware stores for whatever reason. So I'm not sure why I was always there, but I was there. Right on. And I remember being bored out of my mind there. But the one hardware store I was at, they had a toy section there. Mm -hmm. And at that toy section, they had G.I. Joe action figures. And, uh, you know, my dad was there for like an hour and uh, he bought me two figures just to keep me occupied. And the two figures he bought me was Stalker and Snake Eyes because nice. he thought, you know, Stalker's the good guy and Snake Eyes is the bad guy because clearly, <laughs> you know, he's black. He's black yeah. You know, he's all black. So those were the two first action figures I had and they didn't have swivel hands. You know, no. they had the, the straight arms. Straight arms, yep. And, uh, you know, after I got them home, I loved them, played with them. I looked over, I was looking over the boxes and stuff. And, you know, along the side, it would tell you what their actual small arms were that they had. Yep. And, you know, the file cards on the back with the whole history. And my dad collected, as a kid, he had the larger, I think they're like, I don't know, 12-inch, like the dolls. They're literally oh, yeah. dolls. yeah, right they on. Could, he has a ton of those yeah, still. And he had a bunch of those, so he was familiar with G.I. Joe, but he was familiar from it from, like, the Action Force mm-hmm. and more of, like, the 70s range where he had the guy that had, like, um, a red eye that you could look through and his one arm was cybernetic and, like, huge Jeeps, like, just big Jeeps. Like, yeah. I don't know if you ever saw Mar- Marwin Cole. Yes. Like, that documentary where they had, like, all the large dolls and stuff. My dad had all that stuff. German uniforms, you know, scuba tanks. There Mm -hmm. was uh, Land Rovers, spacecraft, all kinds of stuff up in our attic. So he was all on board with buying more of those toys because I think he really enjoyed it as much as I did. And that became, like, another thing that we kind of bonded over. Mm -hmm. So I got those two figures, and then after that, um, it was one of those deals, like you said, where relatives would, you know, still buy you toys. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much what I was getting, like, from my grandmother or my uncle or my, you know, my cousins for birthdays or whatever. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I had all of the original releases. I, you know, I had the base, had the mm-hmm. Hal, had all that first 13 figure stuff. Yep. And pretty much was having, like, complete collections, I think, until it hit, like, the, 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 until it hit where I think Slugger, I didn't have like the I didn't have Slugger and Grand Slam and mm-hmm. not not Grand Slam. I can't think of the other guy's name that was the pilot. Um, but toll I booth. Didn't, yeah, toll booth. I, I didn't have a lot like no. that. I, I think Use I didn't have layer. a complete. Ugh. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I had the bridge layer, but that uh, the guy that piloted the Slugger, I didn't have him, and I didn't mm-hmm. have some of the pieces in that. I think third wave collection. Yeah, but a lot of the other ones I had, I had all the other figures, and I had doubles of some of the soldiers and stuff. Yeah, and Dad had gone out and bought me one of those um, like plastic slide tray boxes that used for hardware mm-hmm. to put all the figures in, and you know had the drawers labeled and everything. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. God, yeah, man. I um, well, I so I know I've asked you this off air. Um, I was a, and I'll get to the question in a second. I was always, as I said, the comic book hooked me like nothing else. And so I, I was also, I, I wanted to be a completionist, but I, I couldn't pull it all together. My parents weren't one just to throw money at me. I had to earn it. Um, and so I spent a lot of time like raking leaves, dusting stairs, <laughs> taking out trash, yeah. doing everything I could to get the, get the, the pennies to scrape together. Man, I was it was pathetic how what i was doing yeah. for the comic books and for the the toys right. i was like okay mom and dad toys are coming out 
uh, I really want this thing. Uh, what can I do? Like, I, it's not an option of, can I have the money? I know that isn't, I, you know, my parents, mom's a lawyer. So every single thing I had to do to get those toys <laughs> as a kid was a hardcore negotiation. And it was, right. it was usually not a pleasant one. And as a kid, I learned to like, all right, I got to give to get. There's got to be some compromise here. Right. Let's do this. Um, and so I got what I could. And man, to be fair, right. I got a lot. Um, and I'm not saying yeah. poor me. No, I look at my G.I. Joe collection now and it's ridiculous. I have the oil rig, right. the whale, uh, the sky striker, right. the rattler. I mean, I have the, as you say, the Joe base, um, the oil, right. the oil rig. I don't know if I said that, but like, I'm just thinking yeah. of the big items, not to mention all, you know, action figures. But there was, um, there were things that I absolutely missed. Um, either they went out of the stores before I could get the money, or I just made that decision where you're holding it in one hand, and then the other thing, right. you're like, Ugh. So I think, um, I know certain vehicles I always wanted, because maybe my best friend had the other one, and I was thinking, okay, I'll get the one that he doesn't have, but then I never got back to the other one before it disappeared. Um, so the Striker, right. for example, was one of those vehicles yeah. that I always wanted. Is like, it's the cool vamp. Yeah. But my friend Jason had it, and so I was like, well, right. if he's got that, then I'm going to get this other thing, and I always right. regretted it. But... Um, so I love the comics, though. Sorry, and I will get to this yeah. eventually. Um, because Larry Hama, who very famously wrote them, um, for those who don't know, Larry Hama was pitching. He was a comic writer, artist. He worked on a, a bunch of different things. He was uh, a U.S. military veteran, um, you know, very talented story writer, um, but he was just sort of getting his sea legs in the industry. He wasn't entirely known at that point. Um, because Joe sort of made him, but he he had been pitching this idea um, to Marvel of writing a Nick Fury style, um, like special forces battling um, almost superpower, but more real uh, lifestyle, modern, um, like spy almost comic book. Um, and they Marvel turned him down flat. They said, as much as we would like to do that, um, we're not doing that. We want to stick with more superhero things. But then um, one of the, I think it was Jim Shooter who was um, in charge of the lead editor for Marvel at the time. I can't remember. Um, yeah, he was the, ed yeah. the editor in chief. And he said, um, yeah. look, um, you know, the story company wants to make a licensed comic book. I know this isn't what you wanted, but it's kind of close. What can you do with this? Um, and so he, a lot of those early Joe books, really had the flavor of, you know, a little bit of espionage, um, a little bit of super crazy science. Um, but it was always based in realism um, to a degree, yeah. uh, in my mind as a kid, far more so than maybe the, the cartoons for G.I. Joe, which... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, people yeah, died like for that. crying out loud. Like, yeah. they died yeah, all yeah. the time. The second issue oh, of yeah. G.I. Joe, like the body count is quite high and you're just thinking, wow, right. that's not the, or the first issue, the one I read, um, Cobra troopers are dying left, right and center. Cobra troopers massacre yep. an entire village for crying out loud. And yep. I'm like, as a kid, I'm thinking, damn, that's some grim stuff. And I loved, you know, those old world war two movies, um, yep. where, you know, the guy fires the MG 42 and like 50 people die. Um, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, this is like the, this is the comic book. These are the toys for this. Yeah. And, um, so I loved the comic for that. Um, and of course, 
it ebbed in flow over time. Some of the story arcs were, eh, but some of them were just fantastic. Um, no, yeah. And I know Absolutely. you also read the comic, but unlike me, you were a fan of the television show as well. But I know they're very you got you liked them for very different reasons. Um, yeah. So, so w- talk to us a little bit about what was your love of Joe? Sure. So uh, I think I first, you know, it's hard for me to remember, but I think I first saw the cartoons first. But my dad got through, got into a stage where, you know, he he collected and sold antiques on the side from his normal work, mm. and it led him into comic books at some point. And not that he appreciated comic books in any way; he only looked at it from a very monetary standpoint. Mm. But from me getting into comic book stores, then from being, you know, trailing along with him. That's, you know, as soon as I saw that they had a G.I. Joe comic, I was immediately interested in it. Totally. And that was really the first box that I had at a comic book store. My first subscriptions were G.I. Joe and Transformers. Those were my first two. Yeah. And my dad had already bought like the first 10 issues of G.I. Joe because he thought they'd be worth something at some time. So he ended up just buying them just to have them and had them in a box. So I ended up reading a lot of his stuff, too, that he would buy, that he was looking at reselling. Awesome. And then ended up getting my own uh, copies of those, you know, throughout time as well. But, yeah, I love the stories. The stories were great. You know, uh, I think, like I, I mentioned to you before, was Silent Interlude, I think, is, you know, one of the best stories stories ever told in a comic i think it was amazing you know there's no there's no diction there's no language at all in it it's all conveyed through conveyed through the art and uh you know i went to school for illustration and part of what drove me to illustration was that i wanted to be you know i really liked uh sequential art i really liked comic book style art and eisner and you know all those great storytellers I think that issue that Hama did for Silent Airlude, I just thought was brilliant. Yeah, man. You know, I think it still holds up. You know, it's still a great issue. And the fact that so many people that don't even read Joe comics, when they when they're introduced to that, even if they're snobby, you know, only read Alan Moore or Grant Morrison or whatever, Mm -hmm. they still can recognize like that piece of art which is what it is. That sequential art piece that's in that issue is, is great stuff. You know? It is man. And, uh, so I teach primary school as most of you know. Yeah. Um, and, um, one of the things that, um, is in the grade five and specifically grade six curriculum in, uh, primary schools in Australia is, a, you know, we always talk about different genres, um, for children's literature. And one of them that was added a couple years ago, and by a couple, I mean at this point six or seven years ago, was actually graphic texts. Um, and, and, and a lot of my kids in my school, my, I, I teach at a school where kids are fairly well off and they have a lot of, they're exposed to a lot of really cool things. And a lot of them are already mm-hmm. reading graphic novels. Um, and I mean, like the, the Amulet series and Smile and a whole lot of these great, you know, literature. Um, right. For children. Um, but then a lot of them are other also interested in things like, you know, the Hunger Games and all these other things, which are, in my sure. mind, I read them and go, God, that's not school appropriate. Um, so I ran the silent interlude issue, um, by our literature, our, our literacy consultants. And he said, this is absolutely fantastic. I've never seen this before. Um, can you teach this? And I went, Oh yes, I can. And so, um, every now, every year now when I'm teaching the older kids and it's been a few years, um, 
I teach silent interlude as part of that curriculum. Um, I have a digital version of it that I bought and I use it and man, man, does it hold up kids love it. And you get to have these really rich conversations with kids who never knew GI Joe. Um, they know right. a little of it because of the movies now, which again makes yeah. me cringe. But um, but <laughs> yeah. they want. I mean, if you look at a kid, um, and when I say kid, I mean like twelve to thirteen year old who's looking at the silent sure. interlude issue for the first time. They're like, okay, the guy in black is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Why is he parachuting in? Because they don't right. have the prior knowledge. Because they're going right. from scratch. There's a like just to see that journey. Um, where, you know, Snake Eyes breaks into the silent castle, parachutes in and rescues Scarlet, even though she's kind of rescued herself um, yeah. from Destro's uh, Storm Shadow and the Ninjas. It's just, it's yep. such a great story. Um, yeah. Anyway, And sorry. think about it, too. Yeah. Like, at, at what time, at that time period, you're talking, I, I want to say, like, 1986 or something. There you have, you know, a strong, very strong female character. Like the, the, yes. the, the, the women that were in GI Joe were not pushovers by no. any means. They did not need rescued in any way in the comics. You know, they're very strong characters, very dominating characters. In fact, you know, I've read a lot of like, just even, you know, story theory on GI Joe as a whole that, you know, the whole, a lot of uh, theory points to like the whole story arc centers around the romance between the relationship between yeah. snake eyes and Scarlet, you know? Absolutely. That's where a lot of the plot drives through, you know? Absolutely. So it, it, it's, it's a great series. It is. You know? And it was also good. I mean, not just for women, for minorities in the eighties. Oh my yeah, God. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's my wife uh, looked at some of my Joe comics while I was um, looked over my shoulder while I was reading it. And she was like, oh, the token black character. Oh, how 80s. And I was like, no, no, no. I need <laughs> you to not look at this skeptically, right. because if you actually right. flip through and I started showing examples like Stalker and Roadblock. Yeah. And I mean, even in the original series, if we're talking Zap, Zap's Hispanic. Yeah. Um, we had, yeah. you know, yeah. Spirit. Absolutely. And the, those minority yeah. characters, sure, you know, you have one or two minority characters per toy line. And I'm sure a Hasbro exec had something to do with that, um, saying we need to have, more, right. you know. But the way Larry Hama wrote them in, because he wrote the file cards as well. Right. Um, yeah. They, they were legitimate. Like They, were, they weren't they were tokenistic in my mind, and I've no, reread they, them they a lot. They drove the storyline. Exactly. Yeah, yeah they drove the storyline, yeah. And, and in fact, too, you know, you can make the argument, too, as far as, like, boys. How many boys would own action figures of girls in a modern time? Like, you know, I had all of those. I had Cover mm-hmm. Girl. I had Scarlet. I had, you know, Lady J, Baroness, Baroness. Serena, all those different characters. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the Baroness. I mean, the Baroness hits on so many different levels as a kid. Oh yeah, as yeah. a 13, 14 year old boy. But yeah. yeah, well, the the black jumpsuit. Yeah. But yeah, but the what's interesting is when the Baroness came out. I mean, having that original comic book and having you know, in my mind, Baroness. I got the toy of the Baroness when she came out. She's one of the first. Was yeah. a second wave of Joes that came out. She yeah. was the one I, I ran for having had that first comic book. And it was like, finally, an awesome G.I. Cobra character. I'm getting this character. But it wasn't... If you remember in the original comic books before, and I am going to get into a little bit of the soap opera of G.I. Joe here, um, she she was in a tank that blew up, and she had to get plastic surgery. And then after that, she was sort of, you know, the femme fatale 
uh, bombshell. Right. But before that, she had a wart and she had, you know, round yeah. glasses and was not attractive. Um, but no, yeah, she was a little bit more like Bader Meinhof looking. You know what I yes. mean? Like the inspiration. <laughs> I don't know if that may if that's a too obscure of a reference. Oh, I got but, it. Yeah. Yeah. She, you know, she definitely looked like someone that was like, a, a, you know, an agitator. You know, she wore like a paramilitary kind of tunic, mm-hmm. you know. I'd still like to do a conversion sometime when I find suitable models to be able to make that figure as well. The early, the early Baroness. Well, there's um, there's a couple of GI Joe Facebook groups, and by a couple, I mean there. Oh my God, there's a lot of them. But there's one right. for the figures, and I can't remember which. It may have been a real American hero. Uh, if you look up Facebook yeah. and GI Joe, there's a ton of like. And I've been looking at those for inspiration for my <laughs> 28 millimeter, you know, project. Sure. But um, a guy got, he pulled together a ton of old figures, or uh, sorry, a ton of new figures, and kitbashed them, took them apart, rebuilt them to be the original Cobra, um, the guys in the control room in the original book. And so you have... Yeah. Cobra Commander in the hood, not the, the helmet. The headsets with the balaclavas. Yeah. yeah, right? And there was the radio operator with the giant headset over with but he had yeah. the face mask as well as an, right. and um the cloth over his mouth. Bareness, ugly bareness. Um and the weird bald guy with a goatee who appears in two panels <laughs> and never appear again. Right. And I'm looking at but it's painted right. in the same cruddy like neon blue color scheme of that right. comic with like tan anyway so i think we're going yeah. down a maybe a conversational loophole here but rabbit hole. it's it yeah sorry rabbit hole but oh my god yeah. it's it was so cool to see that to be like oh wow characters from that weird that that guy i always wondered about and you know there right. he is somebody made that guy i can do yeah. that in 28 millimeter right. Ooh. yeah um but there's just so many great things to pull inspiration from for for Joe projects in general. Anyway, okay. Oh yeah. So uh, you were pulled in. You were sort of hooked into the Joe 28 millimeter pr- um, through a friend. Um, yeah. You have yeah. a lot of stuff now. Um, yeah, too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do you mean? I'm not sitting next to a giant stack of vehicles and figures right now. Right. Literally, I'm I'm holding a vamp in my hand. Um, but. <sighs> So for those who are also interested in this, um, before we get too far in, um, there's a number of, I guess, little private groups that run around talking about this. Um, But if you're looking for figures, um, Shapeways, there's a guy in Shapeways that does some 3D print stuff. um, Arctic Skunk, um, I believe is his name. Uh, And Hasbro licensed out his tanks that are perfectly scaled. that are toys that are literally the his tank toy scaled down that happen to be perfect size for 28 millimeter. Um, and I got mine through book depository, but you can get them through Amazon if you're pretty much anywhere in the world, but Australia. Um, and if you're looking for his tanks in like bolt action or even 40 K scale, those are perfect. And I think I got mine for $9 each. Um, so they're really cheap. And if you press a weird button, the guns light up and it makes shooting noises, which I've taken the batteries out of <laughs> mine. But anyway, um, and they, they're just, so I'm using, um, for my Cobra troopers, I've taken bolt action, German blitzkrieg models 
and I've basically shaved off a lot of the German iconography um, and put modern weapons in their hands. Um, Warlord does a lot of um, plastic modern ranges through their zombie game, and so I've got a ton of weapons from that and metal weapons from the assault group and sort of kitbashed them all, and they're all perfect scale. Um, Yeah. And you just add a little and liquid green stuff. You paint it over the nose and mouth um, of these Blitzkrieg Germans, and all of a sudden you have the the mouth covering. I tried a ton of different ways of actually achieving that look. They all look terrible. And then I tried just brushing on liquid green stuff. Um, it takes two coats, yeah. but it's perfect. Um, awesome. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I, I haven't gotten totally into the. That. I haven't gotten into the kit bashing to the degree that you have. Um, now you're actually taking models from all over the place. Um, and I know that there are some unlicensed models floating around the internet that you and I have both, you know, found through various places, but for people who are looking for more, um, accessible, easy to find slash available models to do a GI Joe project, I don't know if you're necessarily the person to ask for, you know, what is the one thing for this range? Because the figures are so diverse and the stuff that you're pulling from right. is amazing. Tell us that process, man, because that's amazing. There's a there's a lot of, you know, we're in, as you said before, you know, my, my late friend Al, Alan Hayden would always say, mm. you know, this is the golden age of gaming. Because really, you know, if you were someone that he was uh, like, I, I want to say six or seven years my senior. Mm. So he grew up with like a lot of that early soft lead and only got to see like where we're at now towards the end of his life, unfortunately. But, but see, you know, at this, at this stage that we're at right now, just how much is available that was never available before, you know, right. as far as what's out there for ranges and stuff, you know, I remember before having to like, having to mail out like to get, a cheap photocopy or mimeograph even of mm-hmm. someone's wares, you know, to be able to see what's even there. But now, you know, you have access to the internet. It's opened up markets. You're able to see a lot of different sculptors that are very talented that produce a lot of nice stuff. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the stuff that you're able to see, like I'll look at and give an example, like hassle free. I've used a lot of their managers. Kev- yeah. Kevin White's an amazing sculptor. He is. Um, the, you know, he has a great way of capturing character and pose. And just even like his Tomb Raider, not Tomb Raider, because it's not Tomb Raider, right. but it's a not Tomb Raider miniature where uh, she's holding two pistols. All I did for that model was repaint her as Scarlet. I did no conversion mm-hmm. work at all to her. I just repainted her as Scarlet and she looks perfect. You know, if you want to go a step further, you could get a crossbow from another uh, manufacturer's crossbow sprue and make one of the handguns a crossbow you know or even add chinese stars or something to her to her gloves if you wanted to but you know there's a lot of things where like hassle free or studio miniatures Mm -hmm. or bolt action or other manufacturers where a lot of it's just a repaint or even just maybe a head swap yeah um you know with the um you mentioned uh the bolt action germans if they have late war Sturmgewehrs, the Sturmgewehrs still have the same kind of clip as a, an AK-47. They do. It's very close. You know, that's pretty much what the Russians copied their AK-47 after. So you could, you know, pass that off as a Warsaw Pack weapon that the, you know, the original Cobra Officer toys were packaged with. So it's true. There's a there's a 
lot of manufacturers out there that you can use. And it's weird, um, especially since um, if we're talking G.I. Joe, how a lot of the G.I. Joe weaponry was sort of they were riffs riffs off of actual vehicles, but most of them weren't yep. actual vehicles or weapons themselves, um, especially with yeah. the early toys. Um, the the hand weapons got more realistic for a while than the like in the second, right. third, and fourth range, and then after that, it just got weird. Um, yeah, but um, if if you look at Rock and Roll's iconic heavy machine gun, um, and if you're a GI yeah. Joe fan, you know what I'm talking about. It wasn't, and I always thought it was an M60, and I looked at it maybe a year ago, and I realized half of it is an M60, the front half is an MG42, the German heavy <laughs> right. or light machine gun, and I was like. Jesus Christ, yeah. I've been looking at that my entire life, and I never right. saw that that wasn't actually real. Um, yeah. yeah. And, be- and I don't know if it's labeled on the packaging on the original figure. You know how they always had the label of the gun on mm-hmm. the side. I don't know if it was labeled as an M60 or not, or if it was just machine gun. You know what I mean? Yeah. But a lot of times they had the actual small arms, what it was. You yeah, know? they did. Snake eyes, they would say Uzi and demolition packs included, you know, or whatever else. Yeah, exactly. Well, all right. Um, And uh, I guess we're going to talk about some vehicles, too. And I know that folks might be like, oh, well, you know, how are you getting those vehicles? Um, There is quite if you do a little Google searching, there are quite a few 3D prints slash vehicles that you can find that are almost perfect matches for some of the things that we're about to talk about. Um, So uh, let's not go down necessarily that rabbit hole. Otherwise, we'll be listing, you know, websites for the next 60 years. Um, but everything, if you get it in the right, you can figure out the scaling um, is all I'm going to say there. It takes right. a little trial and error, but you can get there. Um, I guess um, I, I almost want to say what were your favorites? How I mean, I'm still I have a lot of this stuff because I've been accumulating it, but I'm still <laughs> in the process of painting my first stuff. I'm still figuring it all out. Um, yeah. So for me, it was the first thing, one of my favorite toys as a kid was the APC, was the G.I. Joe um, personnel carrier. And um, I found it online. I printed two of them, and they were just about the right scale. I may have made mine a little big, um, but that toy was huge. Um, And I was a big toy. Yeah, and I desperately wanted it. So I don't know why I got two, but I did. Um, I think the idea was to make a (laughs) bolt-action army that, because yeah. um, bolt action is a very, and I'm going to quickly, you know, talk bolt action here, um, sure. is a very infantry based game. Um, but you can play bolt action as sort of a tank war event um, where you have vehicles. Yep. But if you do that, all of your infantry has to be mounted. Now, given the G.I. Joe is very character driven, is very um, elite infantry driven. So I was thinking small squads that I could put my Joes into. But then um, I really, I love the the vehicles almost more than the toy that the action figure sometimes i was thinking how do i get that on the tabletop well a tank wars sort of um you know uh platoon works well for that because you can put all the vehicles you want in it well not literally but you know what i mean right um but then you need to have some transports and one of the things that joe had lots of was great fighting vehicles they didn't have too many transports so the first thing i started with was um i got one of those shapeways vamp jeeps and two apcs and got them together um but then i was like okay now i've got the basics now i can you know what can i put in there and of course, my next one was um, my first proper GI Joe 
uh, Christmas present um, that sort of set the scene for later Christmases and consecutive bigger toys. But for me, I will always remember opening, uh, being at my grandmother's house and opening the present and it being the Mobat, the, um, you know, the heavy <laughs> tank. And yeah, so yeah. the Mobat was for me. Um, do, have you approached your G.I. Joe collecting the same sort of way or did you go with the more um, scenario driven mindset? I'm still in that like no. uh, cool toys. Um, but right, what are yeah. you thinking? No, I think I think early on, at least for like uh, trying to get the vehicles and stuff, it was literally just like what's all out there. And uh, I would just add to it, too. Like, the you know, I've had great success on eBay, just even with the. Um, uh, G.I. Joe Hasbro did a small range yes. of die-cast toys in Thank 1982, you. I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Vamp, the MMS, the HAL. Um, I can't speak for the Ram, but I believe the Ram, too. The Flak is in there. I think the, the Ram and yeah. the Mobat are also there, but I don't think the two of them are the right scale. Um, yeah, yeah, but... But yeah. the HAL, the MMS, the FLAC, and the VAMP are definitely in the right They're scale. They're perfect, yeah. For, for 156 They're absolutely perfect. And and for a lot of them, you know, you can get them for 20 bucks or under. You know, yeah. they're pretty cheap in the U.S. I, I can't speak to what they are outside the States. But if someone's in the U.S. and they're looking for, you know, some of those cheap, uh, you know, first wave vehicles, that's mm -hmm. a great source for it. You know, sometimes it might be missing a piece, but you can pick those pieces up in other sales, too. I got and, the um, MMS on eBay mm -hmm. um, with shipping to Australia. For I think twelve dollars, and it was missing oh one of its rockets, and it was in no. poor shape. But I mean, yeah. if you if you see it, people are selling those in packaging. If you are looking to right. buy them, play the waiting game. Loose, yeah. yeah. Get them loose. Do not get them packaged because yep. they're they're through yeah. the nose packaged. But if you wait yeah. and you see that you know someone's dog is chewed on it, these are die cast, <laughs> so it doesn't. Right. I'm stripping the paint off the damn thing anyway. Um, right, right. and repainting yeah. it. And so for me, it didn't matter. And so I, I, I got my vamp, I think for $20 with shipping to Australia. It was like 10 bucks to ship yeah. it. Um, for that's me, awesome. that's worth it. Um, oh, yeah. and one of the roll bar yeah. bars was broken on mine and it's missing its gun, but guess what I can do? I got some, yeah, I got, fix. that's easy. You know, a little bit of green yeah. stuff, a little bit of plastic tubing, and a gun that I already have figured out from another kit, done. Yep. Um, yeah. And like you said, too, with the 3D printing, like, you know, the Mobat's based on an actual tank. The Mauler's based on an actual mm -hmm. tank. A lot of those style vehicles, you can find those 3D models pretty readily online now. Exactly. You know, it's not as obscure as it was before. So and there's uh there's ways to preview those .stl files you know get yourself in a form get yourself in a group mm -hmm. and they'll tell you you know how you can look at it so you can determine what scale it should be for a 28 millimeter figure to have it printed. Totally. So there's a lot of options out there. Nice. But for me, like you know, I definitely wanted the whale. You know, the whale was probably one oh, of my favorite toys as a yes. kid, the killer whale. So Tom Rolland uh, from the Joe group ended up uh, printing me a copy of it and sending that along with some devilfish and other, you know, uh, watercraft. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to do the whale justice. Arlie had his already and it looked great. He had his printed through Alex Bright Cruise. And uh, both of ours are printed out of PLA material. But I wanted to be able to have the, um, the turrets turn, the uh, machine gun yes. uh, turrets. 
So I went through some conversion work and I shared that as an article in the blog. So if anyone else wants to give it a shot, they can too. It, but yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a great piece. It's really cool. It's a neat toy, you know? And, uh, you know, all that stuff, it just comes right back to like, you know, it's just like you open the toy again from the box as a kid. So. Yes. Yeah, it was, uh, I still remember the morning after I finished painting the Mobat and I came downstairs and it was still on my hobby <laughs> table and I was just, they put such a smile on my face and my wife was like, are you smiling at your toy soldiers? And I went, yes, yes, I am. Shamelessly. Right, right. This is for yeah. me. Um, yeah, it's, it's great stuff. You know, uh, Reginald Stumblecock the fourth, one of the other guys on the group, yeah. he had uh, he got one of the Mobats too, and he even painted it in the Sears colors. Yes, I don't know if you remember the Sears oh, yeah. toys released it. And I loved the Sears catalogs as a kid. They were like you know toy porn, mm-hmm. but they had all the Dreadnought alternate repalette colors that they would do of Joe vehicles. Like they repalated the uh, Skyhawk for Dreadnoughts and the Ram for Dreadnoughts. And they had mm-hmm. different, uh, you know, the night version Mobat that they did for Cobra, which was pretty cool. That's how Reg painted his. It's yes. neat stuff. Well, just going back to some of those alternate models, um, I can't help but uh, think of a model that you put on your blog in the last, I believe in the last week, um, yeah. you got a Sergeant Slaughter together using a hassle-free model. Like that was just yeah. so good. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted a little bit meatier Sergeant Slaughter and, uh, they released, um, hassle-free released a, uh, a sculpt that they did, which is excellent where I think it's supposed to be like a predator kind of character or an mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of character. So it's a big meaty guy that's in fatigues and a tank top and it's perfect for Sergeant Slaughter. It just took a little bit of work on his head, you know, a head swap and it was pretty much spot on. Yeah. Oh, but I just to see like, you know, a Sergeant Slaughter on the tabletop is like, cause of course, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, as you say, when you see refrigerator Perry, you do the sigh and a little bit of an eye roll, but <laughs> right. Sergeant yeah. Slaughter slotted right in. And I have to admit, I loved, um, he was I a better fit. Yeah. Oh, he was a much better fit. And I loved the, yeah. you know, WWF as a kid in the eighties, you sure. had to, you know, you had to love it, oh, but my God, yeah, but, uh, Larry Hama wrote Sergeant Slaughter in, and he didn't appear in many Joe comics, but right. the one where Zartan's loose in the pit and, uh, Issue Sergeant, 50. yes, right. Um, yeah. and Sergeant Slaughter yeah. walks out <laughs> and decks, there's two gung hoes and they're wrestling right. and he's like, which one is it? And they both point at the other one. And it's, you know, it's that classic trope from, uh, so many right. different, 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 different. TV shows and movies where the ganger points at the real guy and the real guy points at the other guy and they're like, it's him. Yeah, He's yeah. the Sergeant Slaughter just turns and decks Zartan out. And you see, I think it's Quick Kick in the background going, how do you know which one was which? That's really <laughs> impressive. He's like, 50% chance of getting it right. Uh, and, and it right. was just like, okay, Sergeant Slaughter, perfect fit for this book. Um, right. And, and he laid great. out the biggest guy at that time who was gung ho pretty much, you know, he was yeah. pretty much viewed like the strong man of the team. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. It's oh, good. So good. Right on. Well, yeah. what were some of your favorites? Um, I mean, you said the whale, uh, which is the hovercraft yeah. for those who aren't Joe fanatics. Um, yeah. what were some of your other favorites? Cause for me, I'll, I'll let you think about that for a sec. For me, yeah. getting the rattler on the table, the old, uh, you know, the, basically the a 10 thunderbolt, which is what I got as my rattler that I need to put together and get on the table. Yeah. Um, and we talked about it before the slugger, um, 
That was one of my favorite toys as a kid. I don't know why. Um, it's a, it's <laughs> one of the most. It's, I think it's one of the first completely impractical Joe vehicles, and it was ridiculous. <laughs> it's this massive gun on this little it's wheeled vehicle. Um, yeah. It's stupid, and I loved it. And it was like, and I was able to find a three D print of it, and went, yes, yes, that. Um, yeah. But um, were there anything? Were there any for you that really jumped out at you, or? I I love them all, but uh, I like the hydrofoil a lot. I had that as a kid. Yes. That was a great toy. I had the flag as a kid, the USS flag, the oh, aircraft carrier. So jealous. So we, yeah, we had like a huge room in the house that was like the playroom. So that took up like three quarters of the room. And then, you know, it was like naval actions between the killer whale and night landings and the mm-hmm. hydrofoils and get onto the flag half the time. Now, so for those who don't know, really quick, those who don't know, the flag, of yeah. course, is the aircraft carrier, which is, to date, the largest production toy ever made in Western in the Western world. It is still the largest. Um, and it was six foot something long. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. yeah. That, that was yeah, the was, bridge too was... far for my parents. They looked at that and said, <laughs> right. you can buy any G.I. Joe toy you want. Well, you know, and I think they even... Like bought me a constellation prize, and again, that's something that my parents would never do. But it was, as I said, it was that negotiation with my mother. Um, It was like, I want the flag. I will do whatever it takes to earn this. And my parents actually, for once, researched it, and they went, "Hell no, (laughs) never, ever, ever are you getting that toy." Right. It had a huge, a huge footprint. That's you know, it was definitely eating up real estate. But yeah, but uh, yeah, I I mean, I like that. I like the. out of the early stuff, probably my favorites out of the early stuff was I really liked the Vamp, and I really liked Ram as early vehicles. Yeah. His tanks were my favorites. When the Rattler came out, that was an amazing toy. You know, like so you good. said, that is a great toy. I have still not gotten a 3D print of that yet. Yeah. it. I thought those were amazing. Yeah, they were so good. And the yep. Hiss was so good. I mean, not only... Um, yep. his was great because finally you had something that the bad guys could use against your tanks. Oops. Right, um, right. yeah. With the, with the early Cobra the troopers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the snake suits are great, but having the his tank yeah. and the snake suits and the, uh, the Fang helicopters when they first came out, um, and all of those are available on Shapeways. And I just saw yeah. them and went, yes, yes. Give me some of that. And so um, when Shapeways was having one of its Christmas sales, I think it was last year, I picked up a stack of those and some vamp Jeeps. And um, just to have them in the right scale, it's it's that white yep. like white material that's cheap on Shapeways. So it's yeah, it's sort of lumpy. Um, little, little bumpy, yeah. Yeah. I've sanded and trimmed mine a little bit with a hobby knife and then over-primed it. Um, and that yeah. seems to even level it out a bit, but look, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice a little fuzziness to get some of my favorite toys on the table. Yeah. That, that I bought a fang and a uh, vamp from Shapeways and the snakes. And yeah, like you said, what I do is for, for painting those I'll over prime and then I'll directly paint the highlights onto the vehicle yeah. and directly black line you know, onto the vehicle. Don't try to dry brush because it just no. picks up all that texture. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to black line um, and then panel paint everything I do anyway. So for me, that wasn't yeah. a big shock, but man, yeah, I, I can't imagine trying to dry brush those. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that would not be good. New, no, ugly, ugly. Well, right on. Right. Um, all right, so you have put on some big Joe games, and I know at Fallen yeah. this year you're doing a big one. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing um, at Fallen and plug yourself, man? Sure. So uh, the game I'm going to run, I'm going to run with uh, some of our local game group members, is a game that I ran earlier in the year called Operation Anti-Venom. And the basic premise of it originally was that, uh, you know, another guy in the group, Reginald, came up with the idea of doing like a a Dirty 13 um, scenario where it's only the first 13 Joes being used in the game. So uh, I did actually, I'm sorry. I did that for the last game I did. I did a gold heist game. The operation anti-venom is going to have more than the original 13, but it plays off of that original storyline where uh, Dr. Venom had like a facility in South America or Central America Mm -hmm. where he's creating like a toxin that they were going to use to poison like American currency. So uh, the Cobra forces have a base that's set up, an installation where they're processing the chemicals. Dr. Venom is there. Cobra commander is arriving as, uh, to review the station. And I'm using pretty much all of the early uh, Cobra, uh, Cobra characters. Scarface will be there. Dr. Venom will be there. Cobra commander is there. I threw in Crocmaster just because it's, you know, Central America, mm-hmm. but he's one of the later characters. But I thought it'd be cool to have some crocodiles in there, too. Definitely. And then the Joes are assaulting this compound with um, combined, you know, mechanized air attacks, as well as they have infiltrators that are already in the scenario. They're already in Cobra uniform waiting to reveal themselves. So we ran the game, and I didn't have the whale done at that time, so I... I was using some different pieces. We actually had the Joes come in on a uh, clipper airplane that was um, basically commandeered and then jump pack troops and the APC that came in through amphibious means. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a shark that provided support at the one end of the table. So it was a fun game. And uh, after running that game, it gave us an idea of some things to change. Uh, Dave Smith, another player that's in the local group, uh, very good. He's a school teacher too. Came up with some ideas to make um, some changes in the scenario itself so that it would play a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So we're going to actually have a hydrofoil that's out on patrol this time, waiting to come back. So we'll come back in like turn two or turn three. And the helicopter that's uh, escorting the commander is not going to land until like maybe the fourth turn. So the objectives for the Joes are to capture Dr. Venom and Cobra Commander and also to destroy the toxins that are there in the The uh, scenario objectives for the Cobra forces will be to get those toxins onto the docked uh, freighter that's there, that's docked along the coast, Mm -hmm. and also to get Cobra Commander and Dr. Venom off of the table on the helicopter that's there. So, Awesome. Should be fun stuff. It'll be six turns. Using uh, Where Heroes Dare from Iron Ivan Games that's available through Brigade Games Mm -hmm. and Sinister Labs. Uh, and I have a free supplement that's available. If anybody wants to contact me, they can contact me. It's basically, it's an, it's not intended for sale in any way. You still need to have the where heroes dare rule book to use it. And it's loose. You know, this is a, a live supplement that I wrote only because I knew I was going to write the rules anyway for myself. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was going to write it specifically for Hasbro. These aren't generic rules. I'm actually writing out the file cards and stuff. So to avoid being sued into oblivion or anything else, these I'm not selling these in any way. These are just fan-based uh, rule sets. Mm-hmm. 
But I, I figured if I'm writing them for me, I might as well share them for everyone else. If you want to use them, you're more than welcome to. But it, it works with the Where Heroes Dare rule set. Awesome. So. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so if people want to get that, um, let's. Mm-hmm. I think this is a perfect time to, again, plug your blog. Um, can you give sure. us that again? Because I know I'm going to misspell Dr. Mercury. <clears throat> Yeah, it's Dr. Mercury, and Mercury is spelled M-E-R-K-U-R-Y. That's right. Uh, the Dr. Mercury blog at blogspot.com. There you go. Yes. Um, yep. Because I keep looking at these pictures, and I keep thinking, God, I want to do that. God, I want to do that. Um, but when, of course, I'm building a lot of my Joe stuff for uh, Bolt Action and Conflict 47 mm-hmm. rules, and yeah. I'm also going to be putting out... Um, some rules for that, um, through my blog, because it, you know, it stays up. It doesn't go away on like Facebook as we talked about before, but, um, yours are definitely more character driven. As you say, you're doing the file cards for the actual individual characters. Whereas I'm doing more, here's a squad of veterans and here's the rules for that particular Joe vehicle. Um, so it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for, um, so there's different options and different game systems to reflect that. But I think um, yep. you, the way you're running it wouldn't work with bolt action because of the individual character um, rules and uh, just the background. It just you can't reflect it as well. Um, yeah. However, for, what for, you're doing definitely does, right? Yeah. For we're heroes dare. How it's set up is there's three different types of character types in a game. You hmm. have uh, leads. Um, you have leads, champions, and minions. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. The leads are basically like the stars of the movie. Right. The champions are your uh, seconding commands, your you, your secondary characters. <coughs> and the minions are the guys that are like your regular grunts. Right. The plebs. The leads have um, special pa- special powers that they can choose from. Mm-hmm. As well as the champions. The minions may have one special power. But where it comes into play is when you have a group of um, characters, when you have a group that's, say, it's one lead, like it's, say, it's a stalker with five regular soldiers, five mm-hmm. regular green shirt grunts, if they receive fire from the enemy and there are, you know, a number of casualties more than there are available in that group, all those casualties have to kill off those supporting cast members before it can ever kill a lead. Right. So everyone in that group that's supporting cast, their minions will die. Stalker remains in that active in that turn. Nice. So if they're almost on again. They're almost yeah. ablative yep. wounds. Right. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Okay. And, and in the same way too, like when you take morale tests at the beginning of the turn, you take leadership or initiative tests to see who goes first all those minions that are removed from the table don't count against that other person's initiative. The only thing that counts against a player's initiative is when characters are removed because it's a character driven story. Right on. Nice. Yeah. And the vehicles and stuff are there too. There's rules for watercraft. There's rules for, you know, modern weapons, artillery, vehicles, off table support, all that stuff's there. The only thing that took a little bit more work, and this goes back to like age of saints too, is like ninjas again in the GI Joe mm-hmm. canon are, are demigods. You know yeah, they are. Right? They're really. If you look at like the games that I run too, I don't run a lot of games with Snake Eyes in it because Snake Eyes 
is pretty much almost a force of nature in yeah. the comics. Uh, you know, he's he's a, a literal killing machine. He's like the shadow from the pulp era mm-hmm. where, you know, he's just he's there. And when he's there, death is there, you know. Yep. And he's very difficult to kill in the games. And he's very overpowered. You know, he's the Vader of the of the game system. And the same with Storm Shadow, too. So with them, there's some additional rules that I put in for ninjas because they have the Rishikagi. They have their own set of Mm -hmm. abilities and powers that, again, I kind of divvied out through a card system similar to like Age of Saints with the Saint abilities, which are like Jedi abilities, so that you don't have access to all those powers at the same time. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to pick from one to use in a turn if you're going to. Nice. But... I'd like to do, uh, you know, I've just finished up some more ninja stuff for the Joe era, for the Joe miniatures, and I'd like to do, like, maybe some specific Joe ninja games just to see if there's more that I can play with that's in that environment. You know, I just finished doing uh, Slice and Dice and some more Red Ninjas. I have a a Zartan um, conversion that I've done Mm -hmm. that I'm going to be adding into that as well. So with a lot of the stuff, when I work to complete it, I kind of get more done when I'm working towards a theme. So I kind of group a lot of stuff together and I work in batches. So I have a Ninja Force batch that I kind of have in the works. I just haven't finished yet. Nice. Yeah. I, I uh, recently got the test of honor, um, the warlord games. They do um, a ninja pack. um, Oh yeah. And oh yeah, they are perfectly scaled with my other stuff. And so I got those as my random red ninjas um, from going back to silent interlude, those guys. Um, So I'm going to give one of them a newsie and that sort of thing. But I think Ninja Force was post me. I think Jinx is sort of, Maybe the last yeah. alternate ninja character, because Scarlet was kind of ninja e uh, eventually, right. if not all along. Um, and then, of course, Snake Eyes uh, and Storm Shadow. Yeah. But yeah, man, I can't. I, yeah. I I've been struggling with figuring out how to put them on the tabletop because, as you say, force of nature. Yeah. Um, in the comic book, we had um, you know, was it Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow? You know, invade Cobra Island by themselves. Cobra and, Island. Yeah. yeah. Wall of Plebs. Great. Two ninjas. Great issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah great, great issue. I'll never forget, like, the Cobra guys inside, like, freaking out, trying to hit, like, uh, buttons on walls to throw up barriers. Yep. They're just, like, carving through everything. Yeah. Well, it's that great moment, like, in Rogue One, when at the end, when yep. Vader gets on the ship, and it's, like, you know, right. dark hallway, and then the breathing, and all the guys, you just right. watch their hearts stop on, and you're like, no, and it was like that, and there was the great thing where, of course, Cobra Commanders hold up with um, the head of the Crimson Guard, or the Crimson Guard scientist, um, the, Candy's father. Yes, Candy's father, yeah, yeah. Can- the balloon girl, um, I was gonna say Bongo, but yeah, no, it's Candy, um, but uh, yeah. And Cobra Commander's like, and they're like, we just want Zartan. Cobra Commander's like, he's downstairs, he's downstairs, he's downstairs. And they and they leave. Right. And, he, and yeah. you know, the scientist turns to look at him and goes, you know, wow, you gave that up fast. And he's like, yep. Right. Yep. Don't blame me. You've just seen them go through right. everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it was great. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of the problem with it. You know, when you're thinking about rule mechanics and stuff, too. So, like, Snake Eyes and Where Heroes Dare your average lead character would only have three wounds. He has four, which you can do in the rule system. Mm -hmm. So he has four wounds and he has a lot of abilities already. But on top of that, I created Arishikagi abilities too. 
So when we ran a game where he infiltrated the freighter, like anyone that he met on that freighter, he just, you felt bad for the Cobra soldiers. They were just, (laughs) (laughs) they were just completely murdered, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, just to have, but I mean, it, it's, I've, I've spent a, a majority of this episode uh, with this giant, ridiculous grin on my face. And every time I'm going, mm hmm, mm hmm, uh, I've got, yeah. you know, that, that big grin because I'm just thinking, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it just, it's that same grin that I was giving the Mobat that morning when I came down. And it's like, yes, it's like Christmas again. <laughs> this is amazing. Right. Um, yeah. God, man, it is so good to 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 hear that you're giving Joe the love as well. Um, and yeah, please continue doing it, man, because it's been. Oh, I love looking at your blog. Um, I mean, just recently you did some really awesome stuff with, um, for example, you you created a bunch of Cobra wet troop, uh, sorry, eels, the the wet suit guys um and you made them out of and you had a baroness in a bikini and you had a destro (laughs) in the disco suit and there's just so many like so many great little nods that you're taking weird one-off characters or action figures or moments from the comic or the cartoon and putting them on the tabletop it's just fantastic yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know, with that, you know, I see stuff where like the original wetsuits that they had on both sides from the uh, the first five part miniseries cartoons that mm-hmm. they ran, which I thought that was a great. You know, I love the first five part miniseries they ran. Yep. So I was looking. I'd love to have eel troops. I haven't found something suitable yet, but I did find scuba troops that uh, I'm trying to think they were done through uh, the Lead Adventure mm-hmm. um, company. So I bought that set and basically didn't do any conversion work to them, but just painted them up in those Cobra colors from the original five-part miniseries. And then for the Joes, I basically did head swaps for uh, the Crooked Dice scuba team set they yes, had. Yes, right. And again, painted painted them in the same series. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. when I found those those bikini models, you know, that bikini that the Baroness wore in like one one issue of one uh one of the cartoon episodes yeah i was was saying that's not a yeah that was not a comic (laughs) that was a cartoon yeah that was a cartoon that was epic on the internet so i thought it'd be fun to be able to recreate that and uh, i didn't want to just order one model from that company because of the shipping Mm -hmm. so i thought i could make uh lady j out of the other which was kind of like an ursula andress almost uh kind of pose and figure so it turned out great yeah god man a lot of fun yeah. Oh, Ed, I know that we're talking specifically with, you know, G.I. Joe, but um, mm-hmm. I, I'm seeing something similar with um, the Star Wars Legion community where people are taking, mm-hmm. um, because especially with Fantasy Fly games, though those those models, some of them are fantastic, but some oh, of yeah. them like the Leia and Han, for example, I'm assembling right now. And look, I, I want to be positive about the game. Uh, those models, <laughs> right. those models aren't great. Um but yeah. there are so many people that are doing um, through Shapeways, through uh, Thingiverse, through different... You can get 3D prints of models um, of yeah. either new heads or alternate arms or weapons or even whole new sculpted figures um, to reflect some of those moments. You can get like... I think there's like four or five different layers you can get out on the web right now. And all That's of them amazing. are great you get the white dress leia with the the you know cinnamon buns on her head you've you know of course someone did a slave leia yeah. yawn um but yeah. then um but you also have like 
Leia in um, the Hoth outfit. And there's just there's just a yeah. lot of cool opportunities to take moments of um, I'm, for me, it's my childhood and that nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, for some for some people, they didn't have this and they just but you can yeah. apply it to things you're interested in. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. The conversion work that's being done out there. Now, for me, I don't know if I could ever paint Star Wars. <laughs> After West End Games, I feel like yeah. I already painted my dues worth of, of Star Wars miniatures. But the stuff I see is great. It's just, again, you know, I only game once a month, so mm-hmm. I got to kind of narrow it down on what I actually do at, at, this, at these times, you know? I hear you, But brother. it is neat looking stuff. Yeah. I do play Star Wars Battlefront 2 online almost religiously every night. So if you're on the PS4 network, Dr. Mercury... If you've been killed by Dr. Mercury, I have killed you. <laughs> nice. Right on. <laughs> yeah, but I, so I found a 3D print of, in fact, I'm holding it in my hand, a Thunder Machine. Um, oh, yeah. But I was able to get it printed in Hot Wheel scale. And so nice. guess what I'm putting on the Gaslands tabletop? <laughs> That is awesome. I didn't even think about that. That's great. Yeah, I've seen guys doing like the A-Team B.A. Baracus van mm-hmm. and all kinds of other crazy stuff. Yeah, it's neat. Just like, too, for X-Wing, you saw the uh, the uh, Winnebago from Spaceballs. Yes. And there is yeah. a guy on, speaking of which, and I think <laughs> I've been meaning to say this on the cast, and thank you for the opportunity because I, I keep forgetting. Yeah. There is a guy on uh, Shapeways who made a conversion set for the Stormtroopers Invader from the Legion <laughs> that that are space balls. So you can get a giant oversized dark helmet Hel- and then the space balls round helmets to go on the Stormtroopers. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. That's brilliant, yeah. All you need is a giant comb and you're set. Um, right, right. <laughs> oh, Moisturizing. It is. Yeah. 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 Nicely done, nicely done. <laughs> Well, yeah. right on. Well, Jason, I'm sure we could probably talk for the next six hours, <laughs> yeah. but um, it, it's probably getting close to midnight your time, and um, we should probably start putting a pin in it. Um, yeah. Before we call it a day, I do want to quickly say yeah. a couple things. One, um, for those, uh, and I'm talking to, you know, there are people who run little secret Facebook groups and other... Sure things online um to support our particular weird um brand of um nostalgic wargaming uh, uh, love um for those who run these groups um and you know take the time to maybe make 3d prints or um i'm not sure who arctic skunk is but thank you um i i guess a big thank you um for helping me to bring my childhood sort of back to life um, in a fun, modern way. Um, And also, I guess, to you. um, Because, Jason, without your blog, I probably wouldn't be doing my... In fact, I can tell you safely, I definitely would not be doing the G.I. Joe project that I am now. Um, Um, So thank you. you. And thank you to all those people out there that have sort of made that possible. Um, But... It's just if if you have something out there, guys, and you're listening to this that you're really passionate about, either you know, and you think it might translate well to a tabletop, get stuck into it. Um, either that community already exists. It is surprising how many people may have a similar bee in their bonnet. Um, would you agree, Jason? 
Oh yeah. And from all over the, you know, from all over the globe too. Like I had no idea. I didn't know what any of the red shadow stuff was, you know, that is completely foreign in almost every, in every context. So talking to like players from like Scotland and stuff and Mm -hmm. guys that are into gaming in Scotland and England, like that's a big part of their upbringing as well. So that's a whole other side of the same Hasbro kind of products that was marketed to them where it's using, you know, similar models, similar measures and similar story arcs. So. Absolutely. And just to see, um, you know, what is that? And I don't, Look, as much as I claim to be a massive Joe fanboy, I don't, as you say, I, I know that those things exist. I've seen them. Those um, There are lots of people who do that through the Conflict 47 um, fan pages um, using those rules. Yeah. Um, so I've seen like the giant floating skulls and his tanks painted in red Great. and that sort of thing. And I yeah. just look at it and go, that's cool. Uh, in fact, that's where I got the idea for using um, the the Blitzkrieg German for German troopers, sorry, for uh, Cobra yeah, troopers, sure. because um, they the Conflict 47 guys did that for Red Shadows, and um, it's yeah. Red Shadows, right? Yeah. They look sharp. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Well, right on, man. Um, anything you would like to plug besides your big game at Fallen, or anything you'd like to say before we call it a day, my good man? Yeah, not really. I would just say, you know, enjoy what you do. If if it doesn't feel like work and you enjoy doing it, then just keep doing it and have fun with it. Amen to that, man. Oh, true words have never been spoken. Oh, <laughs> J- Jason, thank you so much for coming on again, man. As yeah, I said, I love your blog, me. and it's been just awesome, you know, rapping and sort of uh, tangent- <laughs> tangentially discussing everything at once. But, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's awesome, man. Thank you again. Cool. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, as always, if you have liked this podcast um, or others like it and you would like to give us feedback, you can find this show on Facebook by typing Land O Misfit Toys um, or probably easier, just type Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. And um, through that, you will find um, the uh, Lando Misfit Toys uh Uh, Facebook page. That is my personal hobby page. If you message that, uh, you will hear from me directly. And thank you to all the people. I know I posted a few things about Cruel Seas in the last week, the upcoming Warlord um, 1 to 300 naval game that's about to come out. Uh, And a ton of people have been messaging me about that. Um, Guys, it's great to hear. Um, Thank you for messaging. Um, And to all the people that give us warm and cool feedback, I do try and take all your feedback on with the show. Um, this is sort of a random solo and uh, endeavor at times, um, as it's just me and Skype guests. So uh, I do really appreciate hearing from you. But I think it's time that we should probably call it a day. So as always, if you are playing the games that we love, I hope that your beverages stay cool. I hope your dice roll hot. But more than anything else, I hope you are having fun. <laughs>